Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. My name is Alex Croson. I'm alongside my co-host, Casey Clapp. Hi, my name is Casey Clapp. I'm the co-host here on Completely Arbitrary with Alex Croson. This week's tree is the green ash. Casey, what is the scientific name for the green ash? I think we just singed off my eyebrows, <laughs> Alex. Can you imagine if that was our show? Sorry, we should respond. Now we should talk for the next minute very slowly. Yeah, I could use a break. I mean, even that much got me a little tired. (laughs) I'm sweating right now. (laughs) Hi, Case. Hi. How are you? Alex. Remember when we did our NPR thing? Yeah, I do. Oh, I wish we could do that again. That was a fun little joke. You know, they really made me understand how good they are at talking. NPR, yeah, they're. Yeah. I mean, the top of the pops, man. Top of the pops. What? What does that mean? The big top, leagues. The, the poplars. I pop, don't know the uh, etymology. Top of the pops. Yeah. Huh. All right. They are. It's true, and they're incredible at it. And um, yeah. So maybe one day they'll ask us to pipe down so that more people can listen to them. Oh yeah. One of the. It's probably. It's probably going to happen very soon. That's right. You and I are going to become so popular that we bully NPR <laughs> out of the competition. Oh yeah, right. Eat your heart out, Jad Abinrod. <laughs> wow. Just kidding shot. me. I was one of my favorites. Shots fired. Yeah. Don't do it. Ask uh, us to be on your show. Shots. Um. Like you're buying him drinks at a bar. Uh, yes, exactly. Friendly shots. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Case, today... Yes. I can answer your question. Can I, can I get some... We, we talked about something right before we started recording. Yeah. Can I put it on the table as I usually do? Of course. Not feeling great today. I, yes, okay. I've had a few months of gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is driving me bonkers. And yeah. I'm at the end of my fucking rope with it. It's got to change soon, or I will become just like a monk and go live in the mountains yeah. where I oh. don't have to be around anyone. That would actually be kind of cool. That might be good for my health. Yeah, it probably would. You'd lose quite a bit of weight. You can you can sit underneath a tree until you reach nirvana. Yeah. Which tree would you do? Not Coulter Pine. Oh, that's a really good question. I think I would do a ginkgo. Oh, that would be a good one. You'd have to go really far away. I don't know if you can get a visa to stay that long. Mm. Mm. I want to do like a native, yeah, like a native ginkgo. Okay, yeah. You'd have to go all the way to China. Yeah, and, the, oh. and that valley that it grows in. All right. Well, I think that'd be a good move. Uh, but regardless yeah. of reaching nirvana, I'm sorry you're feeling so so horribly. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. You've, you've been very patient with me as I am. I, I feel like I'm dwindling in health. Uh, which I don't think you are. I'm, I just want to understand it. Yeah. Because you know? I mean, from right here looking at you, you look great. Well, I appreciate that feeling so-so but i basically wanted to say it because sometimes it's it's good to point this these things out this is really just a therapy session between us and our audience 
Period. Yeah, yeah, and I, maybe maybe uh, instead of asking the question, why is Alex so low energy this episode? Mm. We could answer that question by saying Alex is not feeling great. That's very fair. Give him a pass. Yeah, give him a pass, <laughs> everyone. Please, thank you. Pass. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Aroni? No, pass permitted. Pass oh. granted. That's it. Granted. Pass granted. Alex. Got it. Let's do a clean one. Pass granted. <laughs> there nice. you are. All right. Well, Casey, as we do every episode, we're talking about a tree. That is true. We are now talking about this tree. Casey, this week we are talking about the green ash scientific name, Fractinus transylvanius. That is exactly it. It is the vampire-toothed ash, what? and <laughs> it will suck your blood. Wow. That's not true. It's Fraxinus Pennsylvanica. Fraxinus Fraxinus Pennsylvanica. Yes, as in Pennsylvania, as in Penn's Woods. Oh. Did you know that that's what that means? No. Sylvania is woods. So anything that has the scientific name Sylvestris, it Uh usually means the the woodland species of that thing. So like uh, Fraxinus Pennsylvanica means that it is the more or less the ash tree of Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, But Pennsylvania, the state, is named, that's Latin for Penn's Woods, Penn's or Penn Sylvania. Named after a person named Penn. Yes, probably. William Penn, in fact. Okay. Yeah, he's a, he was a Quaker that came over and huh. uh, started a colony, called it Pennsylvania, and then um, uh, made Philadelphia. That's why it's a city of brotherly love, because they were Quakers. I think it's named after Penn of Penn and Teller, and that's why it's the state of magic. Honestly, you're the one that does all the uh, etymology, so yeah. you probably have that more right. I got I got a knack for it. <laughs> uh, let's imagine, as we do every episode, Casey, that you and I are walking through Penn's woods, mm-hmm. uh, and we are hunting vampires, and we yes. come across a whole grove of green ash. And we don't even know where the vampires are. We completely lose track of what we are doing. Yeah, we, we give up. We say, let's look at trees instead. Uh, oh, it's a perfect adventure every time. <laughs> let's give up and look at trees instead. Yeah, that's sort of that's sort of uh, that should go on your on your tombstone. Yeah, or something. <laughs> uh, honestly, just give up and go go look at trees instead. <laughs> uh, Casey, let's talk size, shape, smell, touch, mm-hmm. all okay. the senses of the green ash. That sounds great, Alex. This is one of the very first trees that I ever learned how to identify. Oh, wow. It's on the, it's on the, the, the upper echelon of that list. That's amazing. And one of the reasons that it is so fun to identify is that it will, it is in the group of trees that has oppositely arranged leaves. All right. So along with dogwoods and uh, the maple family and things that are in the honeysuckle family. What about like a walnut? A walnut does not have obviously arranged leaves. Those are alternately arranged leaves. But the leaflets are Are opposite. opposite. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. And this is a fun thing, is that their leaves are oppositely arranged, but they are still pinnately compound. So they have those uh, that long central rachis with those individual leaflets coming off. The green ash does? Yes, it does. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it is, uh, that's one of the biggest ID characteristics. If you're looking and you're like, well, is this a tree of heaven? because I see it has these long pinnately compound leaves or is it a, a walnut or is it a caria species which is the hickories and then you'll see that they're growing opposite 
from each other along that twig, that tells you it's an ash right off the bat. Easy as that. Cool. Great idea. other things that are in that family, it's in the olive family. Oh. So things that are in the olive family have oppositely arranged leaves. Cool. Oleaceae, I believe is what it is. Wow. Um, however, these leaves are not near as long as either of those two that we just said. They are opposite, pinnately compound, five to nine, usually around seven leaflets with one terminal leaflet right at the very end of that rachis. Terminal leaflet. Yes. Isn't that a cool name? That is cool. I feel like that's the the last publication that you get before like some small business goes goes down. Yeah. Here's our terminal leaflet. Yes, it has a penultimate quality to it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what I want. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a very morbid episode where we talk about, like, at at my funeral, at my wake, I would like to have have a terminal leaflet, which is just a real quick synopsis of, you know, what I I did. Like the last week of your life. Yeah, exactly. Penultimate, (laughs) also named after William Penn. There it is. Man, he's everywhere. Yep. Jeez. Um, let's see. So what else? Um, their, their leaflets are really kind of gorgeous. Of course, they're green ash. It's called green ash, um, ostensibly because the, they are green, which makes you wonder if all the rest of the ashes are just not as green. Right. This one is Maybe. particularly green. This one's like green, green extreme. To the extreme? Yeah, I like wow. that. Green to the extreme. The green, mach- the green machine. Yeah, we can, write, we can write a song about that. Okay. Um, so this lovely tree, though, is not very big. So once it uh, starts growing, what's funny about this is that because it has those oppositely arranged twigs and uh, buds, yeah. as soon as you start getting new branches, they're also oppositely arranged, right? Mm-hmm. As everything comes from those individual buds and how they're set on that stem. Right. So you can identify an ash tree by the big, gigantic pieces of wood that make up the whole trunk because they're always going to be perfectly opposite each other. You'll very rarely see branches that are like offset the way um, other species are. And funny, even maples, other species of maples, don't hold this like pattern so clearly. Ash trees really do a good job where you can see them splitting off like wishbones uh, in a turkey or something where they go off, boop, boop, left and right, and then the next one, boop, boop, left and right. And then they constantly keep that pattern. So if you're trying to ID, ID one, you're trying to look at the twigs. You can't see very far up. Start looking down the branches of these, uh, yeah. of these trees. You can see individual twigs with individual buds. Then you can go down and see where there's like a trident of um, branches where you have that terminal one and then two coming off left and right. And then you can follow that all the way down from the little twigs to the bigger branches to the like actual scaffold limbs that are holding up the whole canopy down to the very two at the very bottom where you have one stem in the ground and then two popping up. It seems from your description like uh, morphologically, this might be kind of a, a pretty symmetrical looking tree. I think so. Yeah, uh, it does grow in the same way. Where if if there's like shade on one side, it'll grow towards the other side where oh, there's sure. sun. So you can start seeing variation in that. You say that you have two come out, uh, two branches come out opposite each other, and then one is growing into another tree. The other one is just completely free and mm-hmm. clear with open sky. The one that's growing into the other tree probably will end up dying off at some point, and then you'll have a branch develop where it comes up and then just goes to the left because everything on the right died away years ago. I see. So you can start seeing those patterns, but then if you're looking in like an uninhibited, fully grown place out in the middle of the the sky, then you'll see those patterns really clearly. Okay. Yeah. 
It gets really big too. It gets a uh, super circular, about a hundred. Uh, I think I've seen one like eighty feet tall. Yeah. A, uh, sorry, uh, David Sibley's guy. Yeah. Says max one forty five feet. Huge. That's, That's just big. massive. And they grow. They're native over to, of course, Pennsylvania, the east coast of the United States. Mm-hmm. They are also native to like um, woodland uh, um, riparian areas. They like the lowlands near creeks and ponds and rivers and things like that. Like our friend the willow. Exactly. Very similar. Except you would see the willow like on the water's edge okay and then the green ash would be just above that just up the bank a little, yeah little they, ways. they like it just a little bit less moist but they also really like it to be quite moist you know I what see. i mean okay yeah um and then the other fun thing about this is that they have like their little buds are adorable and they are so telltale where they kind of look like um they look like fuzzy little um uh, this is they look like fuzzy little camel toes and I mean that in the very strict sense <laughs> of the toe of a camel. <laughs> For some reason, I, that's what I've always thought of. And I don't know if Episode I, title. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know why, but that's what I've always thought of. And Are they kind of split down the middle? Like they have a little bit of... Yeah, they kind of do. Just Google it. You go send it up. Go look at it. Okay. I can see it. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, I'll have to think of another term. No, I think I, I don't think you do. <laughs> it's, it's the, maybe this is just my brain thinking of it. And that's all. I don't know. No, they totally look like camel's feet, or, yes. or some sort of like a like a horse's. Maybe not a horse. A hoof, hoof of some kind. Yeah, like or a, something. A, a, a cloven f- uh, hoof. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's that's what I see. I they don't are know why. Cloven hooved. But they are like the they're kind of velvety brown, and they are always like um, mm. right above the leaf scar from the old. Uh, leaf from last year, which is usually like um, kind of half moon shaped. So you get these half moon shaped leaf scars with these big dark buds right on top of them. And then they go all opposite all the way up the, the twig. And then the very terminal bud has two auxiliary buds right next to it. So you can always see instead of having like one bud and then a little bit and then two buds on either side, uh-huh. the uh, the auxiliary buds, those little guys, um, they have growing uh, in pairs all the way up and then three right at the very top, the hmm. terminal and then the two ones on the side. Cool. They have, I think, some of my favorite bark. Wow. I don't know why. It's not fancy. It's not special. But the ash bark is just so universal on almost every ash tree, every ash species. It will have the same little cross hatches where it looks like a million little X's all like uh, just jammed together at kind of random patterns. I am surprised by the fact that you like it so much. I'm looking at it now. I don't know. It's kind of normal looking. It is. It is normal looking, but it also is not normal looking. Mm. Like every other tree will not have bark that is so uniformly X'd out like this. Okay. I think you have a bit of a fondness for this tree, Casey. How dare you? (laughs) I don't want to show my cards. Casey, does this tree flower or fruit? It does. It creates both flowers and fruit. It is dioecious. So it has uh, two different trees doing each different thing. So you have male trees and female trees making the seeds, and then one makes the pollen. Okay. And they have single Samara. So as opposed Mm. to those uh, maple trees. Yeah. They have that double Samara with those two little uh, seeds at the top. This one just has a single Samara that just hangs down, and it reminds me a lot of an oar of a boat, 
where it has a very small side and then it kind of fla- or fla- flails. Not as in the word. Uh, flares? Flares out. Thank you. Yeah, it is. With one little seed. It's very orish. Yeah, and then it has, um, they, they come down, they hang in like big tufts. So you get like a bunch of them all together where it looks like kind of an upside down bouquet or something. They also a bit look like flippers. I guess it was yeah. a similar water shape. watercraft um, <laughs> propellants yes. of some kind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. They grow um, over, like I said, in the east. Um, they're planted very often, at least historically, as street trees, okay. and were planted as street trees after, funny enough, the old uh, the old elms started dying. Oh, so wow! We started planting a lot of them as that, and ash trees are known to have really fibrous wood, so that if um, if they would fall apart, a it was strong. They generally didn't, but if a tree did fall, it very rarely like broke off. Usually, it would just rip and kind of hold itself together. Hmm. So you ended up getting a street tree that yeah it would, you know it would break and fall just like any other tree but you rarely got like a whole thing just go and rip and fall out of the tree you'd usually be like uh, a very fibrous kind of bend where all the fibers really stayed together interesting what you, does that mean that you could you could salvage it in some way and use it for wood or? Ooh, probably yeah i think I mean, they made baseball bats with them i think they still do i think oh. ash tree is one that they make a lot of baseball bats with or other I've, tools i've heard ash bat yeah, yeah. Ha- well there you go have you really i've never i've never heard ash bat yeah i think i think ash bats are common nice all right yeah i there mean you this go. is a definitely research i could have done before we started recording that's ridiculous alex why would you have done that yeah the classic louisville sluggers are, yeah. are ash bats there you go yeah, there's also maple bats. Yeah, I wonder which one's better. Oh, there's also vampire bats. Hmm. What? I wonder what those are all about. There's a lot of vampires in this uh, this story. Pennsylvania. It's very vampiric. Yeah, it's true. Well, that is um, that is a. a the most that I could say about this tree, it's super commonly planted. You've probably passed a bunch of them out here. Um, as a native to the East Coast, though, of course, we brought it over here thinking it's going to do super great. Yeah. We have a native ash tree, um, the Oregon white ash, which hmm. is lovely. Um, and there's also a common species called the American ash. And these trees, when they were planted over here many, many years ago, um, they ended up just getting huge. I've passed, in fact, you and I were walking by one quite a while ago, and I stopped and kind of stopped talking, which is looking up at this tree, and you're like, yeah. what, what is it? And I'm like, this, is, this tree's huge. This is bigger than most trees that you would see of this species around here. Hmm. And they can just get massive. And for some reason, I just love when they get big. They're Because they have this uniform pattern of bark going all the way up all their branches, it just has such a, a, a perfect look to me. Like someone almost designed it and textured it exactly the same all the way up until you get to the smaller limbs where that texture just hasn't developed yet. I will say, I... Am more amazed by a really tall broadleaf tree uh-huh. than I am by a conifer. Really, like a Alex. big, a big tall conifer. I'm like, yeah, of course. Uh-huh. It like grows straight up and doesn't have to, you know, just like it's like it a, doesn't have to try. It's a spear that just mm. is shot into the sky. Gotcha. A a big broadleaf tree. I'm just like kind of like you know that one down the road from here. Yeah, uh, uh, the, the, beach the beach tree. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one like almost makes me dizzy looking at it. Wow. And I'm like, wow, how can it even do that? I guess that makes sense. I don't know why. Just a huge, huge, huge broadleaf tree amazes me so yeah. much more than a huge. Conifer. You know, I'm not surprised. I think that makes sense because you can have a like just the the mere scale of it is is 
like massive because it not only grows straight up with large branches coming out, yeah. but it like has big large branches coming off of the big large branches that are then growing off in other directions and that takes up a huge amount of like literal space. Yeah, I think know? maybe when it takes up more like uh, aerial real estate, yeah. that's more impressive to mm, me. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Aerial real estate, like like um, Cloud City? Um, exactly like Cloud City. Yeah. <laughs> Casey, this is not where the story ends. In fact, it's where it just begins. Oh, that's right. And we have more of that story after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the green ash, the Draxicus mencapillary <laughs> Alex, sometimes your ability to remember names stuns me. It absolutely stuns me. Uh, I just know that it has uh, little fuzzy camel toes. <laughs> oh, God. I already regret saying that. I don't think you should, Casey. I know, but you know what? Life is life. Yeah, man. Anyway, it does. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Today, uh, we are telling a story <laughs> about the green ash and yep. an invasive friend. That is true. Because this is the episode that we're going to end this last season on, it is one of sadness where everyone goes, boo. This is our last episode of the season? This is our last episode of the season. Fuck. Hey, sorry, buddy. Oh, no. Time flies. Casey. That's why we got a really good story to tell. I would have prepared something. <laughs> Alex, you knew as much as I knew. Oh, my God. Did you know if you count to 12 three times and add it up, it's 36. Okay. Yeah, that's the episode we're on. Fuck off. <laughs> God damn it. I really would have done something special. Shit. Well, there's still time. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> All right. Tell your story. Oh, uh, we've just been so focused on the next season and all the exciting things are going to happen. I guess this so. totally makes sense. It's okay. Wow. Hey, this is going to be exciting. I'm excited. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm excited too. Wow, I can feel it. It's palpable. For for <laughs> I mean, for context, our last episode of last season was the family tree theme song. Yeah. Which I put a lot of work into. You did a really good job. I put like, almost great. no work into this episode. <laughs> well, it's because we've been doing so many cool things before. Like, imagine uh, our preparation yesterday. It was insane. Yeah, what a letdown. Hey, I'm not let down. Let's you know, bring it back up. You know what you should do? What? You should fire me. Okay. And then hire Tobin Mitnick. <laughs> he would have done something special today. He would have. Wow. Look what you've done. He would have done something cool and funny. Yeah. And everybody would have loved it. Well, instead, you're stuck with us. <sighs> I'm not firing you, I Alex. think you're doing great. Well, thanks. I'm disappointed in myself. Oh, come Which on. is the theme of the last few weeks. Turn just... that frown upside down. Give me a minute. Okay. Go ahead and uh, let's, let's, tell, let's tell the story. <laughs> you're about just going to see brooding over in the corner. 
Okay. All right. All right. All right. You ready for this? Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about something that's pretty cool. Have you heard of the idea of trophic cascades? No. Have you heard of ecosystem ramifying? How about that? Absolutely not. Well, I have a fun story for you. So today we're talking about the green ash, right? Now, the green ash is a tree that is uh, rather ash trees as kind of a whole thing are a ubiquitous component, a character that you see walking through every different scene in the eastern forests. And over here in the west, you see them down in California, you see them in little uh, drainage areas um, in the southwest next to cottonwoods and willows. Mm. We have our native species grows all the way up through Washington and BC. Plenty of native species all the way across. I think there's like 65 species of shrubs and trees across the, the world, many from Asia. Now, there are, of course, if you have such a common thing, you have another insect that somewhere in this world is going to be able to take advantage of that insect, or of the, I'm sorry, of that tree, and become a uh, an associate that doesn't maybe necessarily have a great relationship with mm, its associated. Negative association. Yes, and that is what this is. So it is extremely susceptible to the emerald ash borer. Have you heard of this insect before? I think I have. Yes, a lot of people probably from the east have heard about this. Have you looked up a picture of it? It's actually really beautiful. Like you should make um like earrings out of it or something, you know? Oh. What I mean? Yeah, see that's like a pendant. I'm not a fan. Well, fine. It's it a shimmery green little insect. It's uh like it's it's super um what's the term I'm looking for? It's a uh, iridescent. Yes, it's quite know? iridescent. To me it almost looks like a pen nib. A what? Like what the is... tip of a an old ink pen. Oh, really? Like uh, mm. the one you dip in the, the ink and you mm. like have to do the squirt thing mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff? Huh. Yeah. yeah. All right. I can see that. Well, it doesn't write green, unfortunately. It writes in death. <laughs> the... I, I don't like it. I'm kind of transfixed by these yeah. photos. I'm not a big bug guy. It is, but you can kind of just like stare at it for a while, right? Yeah. yeah I showed you a picture of, a, of an insect I identified yesterday and you couldn't handle it. I didn't. I could handle it. You looked I away. Just, I didn't like knowing that it was on your hand. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So this little guy is um, not a big problem as an adult. The adult insect mm. will, um, as described um, in this resource here, nibble on the leaves. doesn't cause a whole lot of damage. It's the uh, nymph stage, the larval stage of this insect that causes the most trouble. That is, um, as I er, the name would suggest, a boring insect. So the uh, the grub stage, which is you know before it has done its metamorphosis into its adult version, yeah. crawls in and will burrow under the bark of the tree, and it will eat the cambium layer, just like there's a hundred different insects that do this for a hundred different trees, right? Like it's eat, it's eaten to like for hibernation purposes. It's got to stock up on nutrients. No, it's just how it gets its food. That's what it does. So oh. imagine like when you are, you know, pre-18, you, this is just where you live and what you eat. And then as soon as you turn 18, you develop wings and you fly away. I and see. then you go eat and lay eggs and go have all the all the fun that after 18-year-olds have, right? I see. So that's exactly what's happening here where it is actually laid, uh, I think the eggs are laid on the, the tree itself, not in the tree. And then when they hatch, then they burrow in. Wow. So... Um, I could be wrong on that. They might actually hatch inside the tree. I cannot remember right now. Either way, the uh, the insects, uh, the larval stage, that nymph will uh, run around. I guess it's technically not a nymph. I'm going to stick with larva. 
So the larva will eat the tree from the inside out and effectively ruin its piping system, its vascular system, going up and down the tree. Mm. So then the tree dies because it can no longer get water up to its extremities. Wow, it must really take a toll on this on these trees. It really does. And it was di- discovered in 2002, I think, in like Wisconsin or somewhere in the upper Midwest. And only since 2002 has it been here that we knew about and it started to spread voraciously. Mm. And... Almost, I think, every single species of ash tree that's native to North America is highly susceptible. It does not have a good ability to fight this insect away. Wow. So, in woodland areas, especially in areas where there's a little bit of, let's say, a vernal pool, which is a pool of water that develops in the spring just because soils are saturated, maybe there's snow melt, you get these little tiny pools, they stay there through spring and then they dry up over time. That is a great habitat for the ash tree. They Mm. love these little depressions. They love these little pondy kind of areas, swampy kind of areas, right? It's like standing water. Like mosquitoes are really into hanging out by standing Exactly, yeah. But it doesn't sit there for more than a few months. After winter's done, then it's there. Vernal means spring. So it just chills there for spring. And then... As uh, as temperatures warm up, rainfall maybe a little bit less. As things really start getting going in terms of plants, all that water dries up and goes away, I or see. is used up for whatever reason. So, um, as you noted, mosquitoes love to use that. Other small invertebrates and vertebrates will use those pools. The one that I'm discussing today is a small little frog, and this little frog hmm. is uh, it's called a wood frog. And the wood frog is a really common species um, over in the east. And this little guy um, is very well known to um, live and lay its egg. Not, I guess it doesn't live. Its tadpoles live in these ephemeral ponds. Again, ephemeral means that they um, they come and go. They're not always there all the time. I like this little guy. Yeah, did you find it? I think it's um, Lithobates sylvaticus is the name of it, the uh, the wood frog. Yeah, the wood frog is, is is okay in my book. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sweet little cute thing, you know. I, I'm not a huge even I'm not a huge amphibian mm, person. Oh, I love amphibians. See, I'm a ma- I'm a mammal guy. Personally. Ah, yes, okay. So, I just connect on a spiritual level with mammals. <laughs> yeah. so much more than I could with amphibians. Or I think that's not that that's evolutionarily sad. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, this little guy. Um, it's super common, and it will lay its cute little eggs, and it'll have its little tadpoles. Now, if you are a tadpole and you are trying to survive, um, there's a couple things that are going to work in your favor. The first thing is you want to grow big fast. Okay. Essentially, well, really, those are the two big things. You want to grow big, and you want to do it really quickly. Okay. So the reason you want to do that is because predators are less likely to eat a bigger tadpole because their their gape is literally not big enough. Like they just can't physically eat something that's so big, yeah. right? So if you're bigger, faster, you are able to basically not get eaten. The other thing is if you're bigger, faster, then that means you've stored up enough energy and you can turn yourself into a little baby frog mm-hmm. earlier. Now, if you do that earlier, that's important for a couple of reasons. The first one being that you are now out of the pool. If that pool dries up, you're good to go. You, you don't see. need to worry about it. You're not, you're, there's no timer. You've beat the timer. The other thing is that if you grow really big um, quicker, then you can get out and you can start eating other things. You can basically be healthier for a longer period of time as an adult. Okay. 
So these two things are correlated to what you're eating and what's going on in that pond. So whether it's phytoplankton, like these little tiny creatures that eat all the detritus that falls in the leaves, mm-hmm. or the tadpoles themselves eating the detritus that falls into these ponds. I think I said leaves earlier. I meant the ponds. Okay. So are you following so far? Yeah. So... If you, <laughs> Do I have a dazed look on my face? No, no, no. I just want to make sure. I'm just <laughs> okay. checking. I'm just checking. You know, got to make sure that we're all we're all taking these steps together, Alex. I'm, I'm in and out, but I'm yeah. here with you. So, um, basically, in order to uh, see that these tadpoles can grow big and grow big fast, you want to have the highest quality um, leaf litter falling into these ponds. Because if you're a, a bigger pond or a bigger you know lake or something like that, you actually have plants that are living full-time in you, and that's creating a lot of production, as they term it, which is just literally carbon used and carbon created. Okay. So on these little ponds, you don't get that kind of thing because there's not enough water there for these little plants to grow, like seaweeds, you know? So you need outside greenery. Yes. Okay. Detritus falls in, starts to decay, other things eat it, then those things get eaten. So there's a little tiny microcosm of of an ecosystem. That's cool. So these tadpoles are then thrown in as a part of that. They eat little um, little tiny plankton kind of creatures that live there. They also eat the detritus itself. So, funny thing, tadpoles are predators. Isn't that a great thing to think about? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, in a traditional sense of that term. They how though? Well, they're eating the little phy- phytoplankton, like these little teeny tiny microscopic oh. <laughs> um, things that grow in these uh, in these little ponds. They hunt them down. Yeah, exactly. So this is what's called um, the idea of ecosystem ramifying, and what that means is there are ram- ramifications that kind of wave through an ecosystem based on some input or some change of conditions or something. Okay. So in this case, um, there is this innocuous beetle that someone has let in because it was on some piece of ash wood that was then taken from someplace in Asia, brought over to the United States. That beetle then got out, started uh, creating its own population, and now it's decimating all of our trees. That sucks. We wish we didn't have these trees decimated. We all remember our lesson with the chestnut, Mm -hmm. and we all remember our lesson with the Dutch elm disease, Mm -hmm. and now we're watching it happen again. But this time, instead of being this um, this like fungus or this other like disease that gets in and and kills the trees, we're literally looking at the insect that's doing the damage. Right? We can find them. That little insect has now come in, killed off all these different ash trees, and it turns out what these people in this study I was looking at, it's Jeffrey P. Stevens, Keith A. Beverin, and Scott D. Teagues, and this is called Anthropogenic Changes to Leaf Litter Input Affects the Fitness of a Larval Amphibian. Can you say that again? I can. Anthropogenic Changes to Leaf Litter Input Affects the Fitness of a Larval Amphibian. Okay. So they're very, um, they have a whole bunch of science that they did in here, and I'm going to gloss over it because that's what I do. (laughs) But essentially, what their study found is they said, does the leaf litter that's in a pond affect the viability of this little tadpole. Mm. So they did a bunch of science and they um, basically said, well, let's, let's use a bunch of different fake pools. Let's put a bunch of tadpoles in there. And then Let's see how quickly they survive, how many survive, and how quickly they will run out. And they tried to control for having other amphibians or other other predators eat the tadpoles and all these other things. I highly will post a, a thing um, to the the paper so people can read it. Okay. Um, but essentially, what they found out is the over time there has been a loss of ash trees due to the 
emerald ash borer coming into these ecosystems and killing them all. Mm-hmm. Boom, they're all gone. What takes that place? I see where this is going. It's another species of tree, Alex. Yes, not only is it invasive trees, it's also the red maple. Now, the mm. red maple loves the very same habitat that these ash trees grow. The red maple, it turns out, has the worst amount of nutri- nutrition for these amphibians. Ah. So, geez. basically what their paper concludes is that they don't say that it is um, 100% one thing or the other, but they say, well, because of this invasive insect because of anthropo- anthropogenic causes. No human came and killed all these trees. No human came and killed all these frogs or caused them any kind of harm. Mm. But because of this insect, because of our gigantic commerce of the world moving things around, um, that's the anthropogenic cause. Or otherwise, if we just change the forest ecosystem for whatever reason, maybe we're just cutting down a bunch of trees, planting new trees back that we want to grow that are not ash something like that. Mm -hmm. That ash tree then is not dropping its needle or dropping its leaves into these pools, having them decay, having them then be food for these tadpoles. So because we have now switched the trees that are growing there, now the red maple or other species are putting in essentially less nutritious food or food that they are not, uh, it's for whatever reason changing the ecosystem, this little microcosm, which then is causing these tadpoles to be less fit when they leave the pond or not fit at all so they never leave the pond. Wow. Then we're seeing this effect, Alex. So we're seeing now this one species of frog is affected in a negative way by this completely unrelated insect that's now coming over and destroying the entire ash population. So the populations of wood frogs that live around these impacted areas of ash trees. Uh Which is almost everywhere that the beetle has come. They kill them off almost entirely. Every single ash tree, including the green ash, everywhere. Okay. Those are, those frogs, that generation of frog is less fit. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's eating the frog and what's like, what's benefiting from that? So most likely, it's not that something's eating the frog. It's just that maybe they're just not surviving as well. Oh, so they may- literally just die from the elements? Uh, yeah. I, as far as I can tell, they their nutrition isn't as good, so they don't grow fast enough. So yeah. then maybe they die because oh, the pond dries up. Fuck. Or maybe they die because they don't get the right amount of nutrients. Or because they're not as strong and big when they turn into frogs, they're more likely to get eaten by you know a small mouse or something. I because see. They don't, they're not strong enough to like get away. I that see. Kind of thing. Wow. So it's just a whole natural effect of everything where X amount of frogs are going to die from X amount of things. It just so happens that X is getting bigger and bigger in proportion to the amount that are not killed because of this effect. And now uh, the authors are saying these are effects on this. Obviously, there's a bunch of other things that are coming into play, Mm -hmm. but they're saying there's a, we can draw this, this line, but it's a really interesting like connection between these things. Well, Alex, let me give you one more example. Okay. And this I wanted to give because this is um, this is our last episode. So I wanted to make sure it was good. And I wanted to make sure to provide a couple different now ideas. Now you're just needling me. I'm not needling you. I spent the whole hour before we should have been recording just reading through this other article. Now, this other article is um, literally called Of Mice and Mast. It's by Richard S. Ostfield. Clive G. Jones and Jerry O. Huelf with two Fs. Mast as in mast year? Yes, exactly, through oak trees. Now, this one, I wanted to just kind of uh, 
Yeah, I highly recommend everyone read it. It's like an eight-page article, hmm. and the article is really interesting because it's very well, it's very like easy to understand. You don't have to be a science uh, reader to be like, okay, go through the, the methods and all these things, and yeah. we'll, yeah, we'll okay. post to it. Cool. Um, but essentially, um, ecological ramifying is when you have something that happens, a change in an ecosystem. Yes. And that change then has ramifications throughout the, uh, the things, ripple waves throughout the ecosystem system yes and the environment that are both direct and indirect that then you can trace these things but you can find wow just this one thing that we looked at these this one this plus this plus this plus this plus this creates this yeah is so complicated when you're doing the math into it you're just like wait what and then if you imagine that on a huge scale and all the other things that are connected to it you Mm -hmm. know like a, a spiral of a um uh, a fractal where the closer you get, you're still finding just just as much complication as you go down this little rabbit hole. Fibonacci. Exactly. All right, so here's here's the thing. So you have a masked year, right? <clears throat> uh, a masked year is when you have a bunch of acorns come out. So yeah. there's a little bit of a diversion from the... the um, the ash tree, but it's going to come back because it'll show that that one change could have effects that we don't even understand. It mm. could, uh, could affect us very specifically. So you have a mast year. The mast year is when you have a big flush of acorns on all these oak trees. Yeah. So they did this study where they um, took a look at this and they said, well, th- we have that mast years and we assume that then after the mast year, you're going to have an increase in the population of these two little rodents or these three little rodents, chipmunks and two different kinds of mice. Okay. Sure enough, they found that there was big mast years, 1980, 85, 88, and 89. Then all of a sudden in years 81, 86, 89, and 90, there were peaks in the rodent population. There you have it. Turns out that rodents really like acorns. Turns out deer also really like acorns. Mm-hmm. So they um, they were like, yeah, it turns out, so if you have a big mast year, then all of a sudden you have a bunch more mice. Those mice then, um, after a year and a half, their population plummets because then the next year you have a almost no acorns, right? So then all of those, uh, all those lovely little rodents perish. What is the name for a non-mast year? I think they just call it a non-mast year. Oh. Yeah, very good job, Alex. Thank that you was, very much. That was scientific as heck. Let me set myself up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so essentially, you can say, you can make the assertion that um, mice populations are ruled by the oak trees. The oak okay. trees are in control of how big and small these populations get. Um, then, same thing with deer. In heavy mast years, deer will actually go eat almost entirely acorns. They love acorns. So you can find them in acorn or like in oak uh, oak groves, in mm-hmm. like little copses of oaks. You'll find that they spend almost 40% of their time in these ecosystems. Wow. So that means everywhere else does not really have to deal with uh, with deer. They don't. They just don't come around, at least, you know, 60% of the time. So we, uh, we see that the deer do this all the time. Now, if they're eating mostly acorns, they're not eating little seed plants that are growing because those seed plants are not the most delicious thing. The deer are eating the acorns. Okay. So you get these little saplings that are not affected near as much. Oh. Yes. Okay. So then um, there's this funny thing. It's one of my uh, band that I enjoy very much called Deer Tick. Have you heard of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're a great band. They're named after Deer Ticks. Okay. So Deer Ticks will um, get on to adult deer. They're called that because the adult phase almost always gets on white-tailed deer. Hmm. Um, they have four phases, though. Eggs, larval, nymph, and then the uh, the official, the adult, the, okay. the capital A deer tick. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Good for me. 
Um, so the the two young ones, the the larval stage and the nymph stage, they generally the larval hatches. It's free from this bad, awful disease we call Lyme disease. Mm. You're familiar, yeah. So it's a big thing. Everyone's really worried about it because ticks carry it. So if you get a tick, everyone's like, wow, Lyme disease. It's free from the disease? Yes. So it hatches from the egg. It does not have the disease because it actually gets it from biting an infected rodent that has these. They're called um, spirochetes, I believe. It's pretty gross. Makes me feel very spirochetes. Wow. So so continental. uh, (laughs) Thank you, Alex. So the deer tick, the little larva, will actually get, uh, first it will bite onto something and the place that you can get the most like the the best uh habitat for these little spirochetes of lyme disease are in what these little mice okay so all of a sudden now you have um where there is a huge amount of acorns you get this gigantic spike in the mouse population you then get a bunch of deer tick larvae that are like "Mm, delicious they are now get covered in lyme disease they then go and hang out on the deer and where are the deer right now they're in the acorn place. Exactly. So when the deer tick gets on the deer and then drops back off of it, it overwinters right there wherever there was a bunch of deer because they just kind of like, yep, oh, I'm just going to drop off and then I'm going to live wherever it happens to be that I drop off for hmm. the winter time. And then the next year, it'll have, you know, eggs and I'll do all kind of stuff. Okay. So we found that now the oak trees not only control the mouse population, they also control the distribution of where deer are at within the forest. Yeah. And then they also, if you have a bunch of mice, a bunch of mice also eat other things other than acorns. For instance, they eat the um, the egg sacs of this insect called the gypsy moth. Are you familiar with this insect? Yes. So the gypsy moth um, will defoliate entire forests of trees. I believe there's a gypsy moth in a bug's life. Really? I think that's where I know it from. <laughs> That is excellent. So you look at us, we're, we're cross-referencing worlds right now, Alex. <laughs> yes, it is. Her name is Gypsy. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, Gypsy Moth, they are probably not in uh, a bug's life, but in the actual, uh, in the East, in the real world, RL. Yeah. It turns out they're really awful. Another invasive insect, we brought them over because we wanted them to um, help us with uh, silk production. And then, of course, we let like 100 go, and then they invaded the whole eastern United States. They're over here in the west as well. Oh, good. They cause trouble. So, um, it turns out that they they lay these like egg sacs on the sides of trees. And every 9 to 10 years, there's this cycle of them becoming huge, like really intensely, um, like, pandemic levels or you know Mm. where they would kill every tree or at least eat every leaf on every tree for an entire forest in an entire region wow it's crazy i've seen pictures where in like midsummer it looks like it's the dead of winter because every tree every leaf is being eaten off what they've found in this uh, and they they've documented it all and they they have noted like there's a conceptual diagram that they have that has like all these arrows kind of pointing you know it's kind of like one of those spy movies where everyone's like well if this person's over here and this and you have like the the pins and the strings going between Mm -hmm. that's what it looks like and uh it turns out if you have a normal population of mice they will constantly eat these little uh gypsy moth egg sacs um or where the larvae are pupating before they become the adults and cause a bunch of trouble and all these things Mm -hmm. Um, so they will, the mice themselves are keeping all of the gypsy moth in, uh, in order. They're not letting them get up to these huge, gigantic, um, like crop destroying levels, right? Yeah. So 
if you have these trees that control the population, the population then plummets. Not only do you have this weird spike in the uh, Lyme disease that then people, you and me, we can walk around the forest and the acorns are controlling if we have more of a likelihood to get Lyme disease just because of these weird population spikes and growth, which is a very common thing. But now they're finding that, well, it actually could also affect if this other insect becomes a huge, gigantic pandemic level where it kills or at least has a huge impact on all the native trees that are there, which again, an invasive gypsy moth insect, mm-hmm. that the mouse with its spike in population will control when that population plummets. Lo and behold, what follows is a very quick rise to these gigantic pandemic level proportions or epidemic levels of gypsy moth that then destroy all the oak trees that are growing around it. Aha. I'm exhausted, Alex. I, I, uh, Casey. <laughs> yes. I, f- I feel like, I feel like I'm going insane. You are going insane. I also feel like, I was going to say, I feel like I'm watching a Coen Brothers movie for the first time. I'm like, who are <laughs> like, all these characters? Who's and happening? What? There's just so many things. Yes, there's so many things. And they do a really good job in this article to like draw all these connections. Yeah. So, but then you have this huge amount of, the, like half the oak trees may die because of all these gypsy moth. But then that means that there's going to be less acorns at any one given point in time than other new things are going to grow up because yeah. that one time, remember I told you there's a huge big oak population or oak uh, mast and then those little seedlings got a good chance yeah, to grow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That all plays into it. All right, so the reason I'm telling you all these things when we're talking about the ash tree is that this is a really good, well-documented example of what could very well potentially be happening with ash trees mm. and any other species of tree that we know because now we've talked about how um, this one thing leads to this other thing that leads to this other thing that leads to this other thing that then a year and a half later we have to watch for this other thing then when this happens then two years later this other thing happens and then you have this explosion over here and then you have this huge destruction and now the forest is different. That's what I'm seeing. So now when we're watching this emerald ash bowl or come in and destroy these things, we have one one person said, this is having an effect on frogs. Yeah. What's the next thing? You know, who's going to have the creativity to look at the mosquitoes that also right. live in these things and how now that's going to affect us because now you have fewer tadpoles eating the mosquito larvae. Yeah. Now the mosquito larvae are coming around. Now we're going to have malaria everywhere. Right. I'm not saying that. No one is. I'm just, you know. But it's a, it's a, that's, that's a total possibility. I was thinking yeah. flies, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, what, what's going to happen with the flies? There's a huge boom in a fly population and then, and then suddenly they spray for the flies, but the, the spray yeah. also kills this other insect that the frogs were eating and and uh and you see all of a sudden yeah how this thing interacts with this thing interacts with this thing and it's the tiniest levels of small things that affect other things that you're just like your your mind starts to melt and it is it's just showing how intricately laced our ecosystems are which everyone knows and i think in one of these papers they literally say that they're like yes we know there's the metaphysical idea everything's connected and they almost like pass it off as like some sort of "Eh, yes we get it that's a fun idea but let's let's scientifically give you an example of this I mean, it is true. Shit. Casey, wow. Let's do our review of the green ash. Okay, let's do it in, in its interconnectedness with the rest of the world with around the, it. Oh, I thought you meant the, the review of like the rest <laughs> of this episode. Oh, no. Don't ever review a whole episode. We never want to hear that. <laughs> oh, God, no. 
here's how it works. We'll give our final thoughts on this tree, the green ash, and then give it a rating of zero to ten golden cones of honor. Casey, please mm. take it away. All right, Alex. This is where it comes down for me. The bark. I love the bark. Oh yeah. It's gorgeous. I love the the colors that this tree turns. It really has a, a yellow reddish um, fall color, which I have some pictures of that we'll post. Great. It is a delight. Um, aside from that, though, I do find that even though they do fall apart and not really break completely off, these trees have a lot of problems. Mm. Like they can they can just kind of rip in half. They get a really beautiful fungus called Ganoderma, which I love a lot, and I've hmm. seen a lot on them, which is cool because I like the fungal association of it all. But a part of me is just like, come on, Ash, try a little harder to stay alive, would yeah. you? So it um, a little weak willed. It's a little weak willed. It's a little weak willed of a tree, and um, I'm really worried for it being such a victim uh, coming here really soon. So every time I see a big one, I just like want to give it a hug and yeah. be like, you're gonna do you're gonna do just fine. That's all I want to do. So, uh, but unfortunately, it's a little bit overplanted. It's extremely popular. You can every plant tree it is everywhere. overplanted to you. That is not true. I, I swear, <laughs> if you had a catchphrase, it would be anyway, which is, I think Ellen's catchphrase. <laughs> anyway, it's a little <laughs> and, overplanted, and it's a little overplanted. Yeah. All right, that's fair. Well, this but you one, can you can you can make fun of me by giving me a catch uh, one of whatever I say them. I'll uh, think of one. I feel okay. like it's just a deep breath, and then you say something quickly and move on. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this is completely hard. Yeah, that's what I see. Transitions are yeah, my catchphrase. Exactly. <laughs> well, so honestly, it's overplanted, and uh, people plant them a lot. They kind yeah. of fall over. They don't really do things. It's like six point one. Okay. Yeah, it's not that great of a tree, but it's it's it does a lot of good stuff, and it's a part of a system. So you know that that's where yeah. it gets its initial five. Okay, it's I, a cognitive machine. Sure. I, I I thought I honestly thought you were going to go higher, and I was going to be not not upset, but I was going to be you know. Mm, you're like, man, Casey just rates everything just the same. No, no. Uh, well, I'll tell you why. Here's my review. Okay. I. F- <laughs> I have I have no admiration for this tree whatsoever. What? Let me break it down. The leaves <laughs> look like a kindergartner's drawing of a leaf. Nothing oh special. It's just a simple ass leaf. I know it's not. It's a, it's a they're leaflets. They're quite a, literally not yes. simple ass leaves. But the leaflets <laughs> are simple are simple looking. All right. The bark, Alex. Sorry, Casey. What? It's it looks like nothing. I look at it and it's like I'm one of those magic eye things, but there's no picture in it. It's just gray. You just keep static. staring at it. Yeah, I've been staring at this bark for two hours. I have seen nothing. I hate this tree. Uh, the um, overall look of it is fine. It just looks like a tree. What about the paddle? The paddle fruit? That's whatever. Oh, I don't feel much for. Uh, I don't feel much for Samaras. All right, that's okay. I'm like oh, a real fruit. Really? Yeah. You're Samar. Oh, kind of a wow. Samara skeptic. You are a little bit. Yeah. Um, I really like like you see Samaras on the ground. You look at it with like a, a suspicious eye. Yeah, mm. I don't. I don't mind maple Samaras because at least they do something fun when they're falling. These do as well. They just do it much quicker. And okay, all right, I'll stop. I like the scientific name. <laughs> However, its common name is very boring, Green Ash. They really thought outside the box for that one. You know, that is true. They, it could use a marketing... Uh, a marketing... A rebranding? Reboot, yeah. yeah. What, what, would, what would you call it if you were going to do that? You can finish your review and then come up with that, okay. but I'm, I'm I'll, curious. I'll think of it while I say these next things. All right. Oh, you have a list. I can see you looking at it. Uh, no, I, I, I'm actually looking at photos of Gypsy from Bugs Life. <laughs> They're on my <laughs> monitor. Um, I, I don't know. I don't give two shits for this tree. 
Okay. Two cones. Wow. Two golden cones of honor. No, you Is know that what? like a lowercase g? 1.9. Wow. Golden cones of honor. And I don't even know if they're that honorific. I don't care about this tree at all. I'm stunned. I, I guess it's not a good thing that the beetles are eating it up because uh, it affects everything else. You thought you know? the frogs were cute. I like the frogs. They have nothing to do with this tree. They do. I mean, they, not Quite to me. literally. I mean, yes, that was the whole point of that story. God, I Alex, that. you just, I feel like sense. I just told such a complex <laughs> Coen Brothers movie story. And you're like, wait, what happened? The movie's over? <gasps> what? Uh, oh, damn it. I like the frogs, but that doesn't, for me, that doesn't give points to the tree. <laughs> oh. Um, <sighs> yeah, I I just don't, I don't okay. care about this tree. I'm so sorry. I think that's okay. I think, I, I think your cones are your own, Alex. I will say. Your tadpoles are not. I've they're said, dependent. I've said this before. It's possible that my overall st- state of mood is affecting my score here that's but okay i do everything in my power to change that my cones are around yeah and this is what i feel i don't care about the green ash 1.9 1.9 that's sub two yeah that's sub two that's like you go into a michelin star restaurant and you spit out the food yeah and yeah. you give it nothing. And you just kind of walk away like, that wow. was so overpriced and not worth it. And I will say, I didn't choose to cover this tree. This was Casey, a Casey Clapp original. It's true. All right. I take, and I'm not saying I that I credit. choose better trees than you don't. I guess that's not what you're saying. But I'm saying this particular tree... I I take I take no I take no blame in it being on our show. I don't even I'm not even the host of the show. This is Casey's idea. <laughs> All of a sudden you're just like everyone I, I I'm a hostage here. Alex had a mental fucking breakdown on last episode. I've been asking for help for the last year. Nobody has called in. <laughs> See, this is this is the big climax I was looking for at the end of season three. Yeah, it turns out I, yeah. I just lose it. You're just gonna just storm out and everyone's gonna wonder if there's going to be a season four. <laughs> yeah, it's a big wow. cliffhanger. I'm so, I don't even know what to say. Is Alex coming back for season four? Find out on the next season. We'll see. Of completely arbitrary. I still think you could do better. Wow. Well, that was our review of the Green Ash and all of its related <laughs> ecosystems. <laughs> all right, Casey. Casey, it's time for a game. I don't want to play a game. Kate, listen. Life is too real, How the tables have turned. I was in a shit mood earlier, and (laughs) And now I've ruined your day. This is what I do. And you're so happy because of it. (laughs) No, I am not. This is a game, one of my personal favorites that we've played. Okay. I don't know if anybody else likes it, but it's called Trick or Tree. Oh. Here's how it works. I'm going to give you a binomial name. Mm -hmm. You are going to tell me if it is a tree that really exists or a trick, something I made up to sound real. Okay. I'm ready. There is no timer, but, you know, let's keep it moving. Get it done. Casey, are you ready for your first tree? I'm ready. Or trick. I was going to say, you're trying to lead me on here? There's a very important thing, a step that we established in the first time we played this, is that after I say the words, I say trick or tree. Correct. So just a heads up. Get ready. First one. Magnolia Pyramidata. Magnolia Pyramidata. Trick or tree. I forgot to say I was going to say, you forgot. <laughs> just sitting here in silence looking. Yeah, I thought you were just pondering. Yeah, well, I am also that. Pyramidata. Magnolia Pyramidata. I'm going to say it's a tree, Alex. That is a tree, Casey. Yes. That is a pyramid magnolia. A pyramid. Where is that from? I've never even heard of it. Uh, let's see. It was in Sibley's. 
Okay. So I assume that it would be because, I don't know if you know this, and I shouldn't probably give this away, but usually the scientific names have to match in terms of, I, I believe I heard gender. A Latin expert's going to have to get us this. But Magnolia, for instance, usually would not have something that ends with an us at the oh, end Oh, interesting. Yes. So if you would have to have, um, uh, like, for instance, there is the Acer Rubra, I'm sorry, Acer Rubrum, and then the Quercus Rubra. Where that means, what that means, I don't know. But so for this one, we're, we're talking southeastern. Ah, yeah, okay. All Alabama, right. Arkansas, Florida. Yeah, that's where there's so many magnolias down there. Yeah. Okay. Magnolia yes. country. One, 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 uh, one out of one. One point to Casey. Here we go. Here's the second one, Casey. Umbellior, umbelli, umbellularia, mummaface, mummaface, umbellu. Umbellularia. Umbellularia. Umbellularia mummaceae. I'm going to say... Mummaceae. Hmm. Okay. Trick or treat. Trick or tree. I'm sorry. I'm not myself today. (laughs) Trick. That is a trick, Casey. Yes. I'm calling that one the mummy laurel. Yeah. All right. That makes sense because I believe there's only one species in the genus Umbellularia, and that is Californica. Wow. Interesting. Mm -hmm. See, if I had known that, I wouldn't have... uh, Hey, but that's, you know what, that's what the fun of this game is because you don't know much about much. (laughs) Thanks. Welcome, Alex. Next one. I would never say that to you. (laughs) Ficus fortissa. Ficus fortissa. 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 I'm sorry. Ficus fortissa. I think it's a tree. Casey, this is a trick. No. Something I'm calling the strong fig. Oh, fortissa. It's because it's fortis. I see. Dang it. Fortis. Fortissa. Hey, point to Alex. Dang it. All right. Well, okay. Two, one. Here's the next one. Photinia serratifolia. Trick or tree? Mm, that is a tree. That, I believe, is the Japanese photinia. It could also be another kind of photinia, but I know it's a photinia. You're in the right continent. Uh, Chinese photinia. Correct. Yes! Well done. Casey, next right, one. Here we go. Uh, what is it, 3-1? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the house. Acer salicia. Trick or tree? I think that's a trick, Alex. Casey, that is a trick. Yes. It's something I'm calling the salt maple. The salt maple? Salicier? Yeah. Oh, because like salt. I salt see. To go with uh, our sugar maple. You have a little mm. kettle corn situation. <laughs> oh, uh, well, together is the kettle corn forest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's up in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, <laughs> I liked my own joke there. <laughs> Casey, next one. Batula papirier. Mm. Betula papyrie. I'm happy to spell it for you. Please do. P A P Y R I A E. Betula papyrie. R I A E. I think that's a trick, Alex. That is a trick. That's what I'm calling the papyrus birch, ah. which is the progenitor to the paper birch. I see. It, it was. It came. It, it it went extinct a long time ago. Yes. I see. Yeah. Before that was the tablet birch. <laughs> yeah. Betula tabletaria. Yes. The yeah. clay tablet birch. <laughs> it's just a rock. <laughs> Before that, dirt in the ground. <laughs> Before that, the Big Bang. Mm. Betula big bangus. 
uh, but Betula Cave Cave Wallace. <laughs> uh, next one, case Styrax Grandiflora trick or tree? Mm, that's a tree. That is a trick, Casey. You're kidding me, Grandiflora? <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh, you got me. I thought too quickly. There is a big leaf. Yes, Snowbell. Just uh, I know that one. Ugh. But I gave you the fake big flower snowbell what a fool i can't believe that you're you're getting good at this thank you i have a lot of fun doing it yeah all right oh gosh okay oh man i'm getting a little (laughs) little jazzed over here realizing (laughs) that i made such a foolish mistake oh please uh next one okay ilex Mm -hmm. casein ilex casine or casein i'm happy to spell it please do uh i-l-e-x C-A-S-S-I-N-E. I think that's a trick. Casey, this is a tree. Oh, This God. is the Dahoon Holly. The Dahoon Holly? Yeah. I don't know about that. I chose it because it sounds a bit like each of our names. Is, oh, wait. Alex Cassine. Sounds oh, like Alex my Casey. God. I See, I should have thought about that first. and then, But then again, it's a real thing, so that would have thrown me off even more. Right. Some, are we tied right now? Some good questions. Is that four making. to four? Uh, I, I think so. That's incredible. This is... It's coming down to the wire. This is the last one. Yeah, I'm getting... I'm sweating over here. <laughs> All right, ready? Fraxinus Transylvanica. No, that's not a tree. <laughs> trick or tree? <laughs> not a tree! <laughs> you That is a trick, me. Casey. I'm calling it the Transylvania ash. Yes, okay. You can only find that in Transylvania, yeah, Trans Woods. That's right. Wow. Oh, my God. I have to say, I'm happy that that was the one we ended on. I didn't want to have to have a bunch of dead air over here as I was, like, pondering and thinking. Yeah. Whew. Oh, my God. Well, that was great, Casey. You won Trick or Tree. Oh, Alex. Wow. Good work. Thanks. Same to you. Wow. You're okay. okay. This is, you're going to, you're going to get an honorary degree here pretty soon. You know that, right? (laughs) Hopefully. Mm -hmm. Casey, it's time for a completely arbitrary Q and A. Oh, right. All right. What do we got today here, my friend? Today's question Mm -hmm. is from Ziz. Hello, Ziz. Ziz asks, recently I was walking around my local natural area and all the branches were covered in something that looked like a lot of spider webs. At first, I thought it was just a really energetic spider, hmm. but I realized that the entire forest had been covered in the stuff. When I touched it, it felt a bit like a pulled-out cotton ball. Really? Any clue what this is? I know hmm. we have a lot of cotton woods in my area, but I never thought they actually produced cotton. <gasps> okay. All right. So that helps me. Also, Ziz included a drawing of you and I, Casey. What? Uh, and every... Every tree we've covered. <laughs> You're kidding me. That's beautiful. It's true. Oh my god, Ziz, thank you. Yes, yeah, okay. Ziz. It's All a right. great drawing. Honestly, yeah, that's how you. That's how you woo Alex and I. You just you give us a drawing with your question, and then we'll be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, fan art is yeah. preferred. If we look awful, we're not answering your question. <laughs> we look great in this one, Ziz. <laughs> uh, Casey, what do you think? All um, right, so that's very curious. Spider webby things. So you can. I would be willing to bet. Uh, so cottonwoods do, in fact, make a version of it's not cotton traditionally but it's mm. a it's a cotton like thing okay and that's how they get their um that's how they spread their seeds so essentially they have these little capsules they grow all these little white hairs on it and those little uh rather the seeds have these little white hairs in these capsules okay 
So all these capsules pop open and you literally get this like long sort of, uh, it, it almost looks like a, a grape sort of thing where there's just like all these grapes hanging off of this one central axis. Hmm. They each pop open and they just have this like white fuzz popping out. Wow. And then that gets dispersed by the wind because it's so light and fluffy mm. or it hits water and it shoots down the water, which is of course cottonwoods usually grow where there's a lot of water. So that's how they disperse their seeds. Cool. So my bet is, if there are a lot of cottonwoods, it in fact, they call it cottonwood, but the wood is not anything like cotton, though it is a very uh, fragile tree many times. Uh, it will, uh, the name is actually referring to the uh, the fruit that comes off of it. Sure. I usually see it in July around here. Um, many people are like, well, it's like Christmas in July because you're getting like, it literally sometimes appears as if the ground is covered in snow. You've yeah. seen this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, the cottonwoods are out, so I'm really allergic. And that's not the case. I think I've told you this We've before. We've talked about this. Yeah. It's the fruit yeah. of the cottonwood, not the pollen producing season for the cottonwood. Which is a great way to irritate your friends. Yeah, exactly. If they're suffering from allergies and you say, actually. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, there might be another thing, and I don't know this for sure, but there is an insect called the tent caterpillar. Wow. And it doesn't sound like this is uh, what's going on here, because if there are cottonwoods, um, it's probably a cottonwood that's producing a lot of that. Um, but tent caterpillars, uh, interestingly, spiders are not the only thing that produce silk. Many invertebrates do. Wow. And the tent caterpillar does this, and they will make these gigantic um, just silk nests on the top of different trees. A lot of times it's alder. They get a, they get on them a lot. Yeah, these... Uh, I regret this Google image search. Oh, you do yeah? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty nightmarish. Yeah, because there's like hundreds in these things sometimes. Yeah. Like they can get huge. It's like a big bag of snakes. Yeah, it's a big bag of snakes except the snakes are little teeny tiny snakes and they're covered in little hairs. Yeah. And it's essentially a protective um, cocoon covering. I shouldn't say cocoon because they will make an actual one. Um, but they will, uh, it's this big bag on the end of a, a twig and they eat all the leaves that are inside that with this big protective sort of uh, dome around them hmm. and a lot of times um, they can get kind of out of control and could be on a hundred different trees and just have you know epidemic proportions as well um, but that doesn't quite sound like what it is because I think if you looked at it um, you would see a that it looks like spider silk pulled taut and you'd also be able to touch it and then see inside all these little caterpillars kind of running around yeah so my bet is this is cottonwood which the, is from the cottonwood tree and the cotton like substance is just kind of getting caught on on the little rough edges yeah. of the barks and trees. Exactly. It can get caught just about everywhere. It can also get caught on other actual spider webs and get chilled uh, mm. or get caught up in there and just chill out for a while. There you have it. Thank you so much for your question. If you have a question for Casey, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram and follow us on Instagram at arbitrarypod. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod. Dot com. Or you can... Uh, uh, wow. You can also uh, support the Patreon. Join the Arboretum or the Cone of the Month Club. Get two extra episodes a month about other related topics and trees. And uh, get a, in the Cone of the Month Club, you get a little cone sticker it's illustrated be, by an independent artist. It's going to be very nice. Every single month, you get a new one. It's a nice thing to look forward to. And don't we all need something like that, Casey? Yeah, we really do, Alex. Speaking of nice thing to look forward to, wow. I know that you were so in just engulfed with with the the life and times yeah. of arbitrary completely the podcast 
I was a little blindsided by today. It turns out this is the last episode we have for our Summer 21 collection. That's right. I'm a little disappointed in myself, honestly. Hey, hey, you know what? You're just looking at the wrong side of the coin. Because like I said, we spent hours yesterday coming up with what we're doing next season. Yeah, you're. Right. I, I, I am a hero. You're you right. are a hero, Alex. Yeah. You're not the hero we wanted. You're the hero we needed. Wow. Thank you. I, I knew you're like, <laughs> is that a compliment or an insult? Well, next season, we have a lot of really fun, exciting things planned. It's going to be a good one, Casey. Yes, it will be. And uh, I honestly, I'm excited for this one. Like, I really am because I think it's going to be multifaceted. In mm. fact, it might be an opportunity for people to just eat it right on up. Oh, I would say it's going to be quite delicious. Oh, I bet you you're right. Uh, so next week, instead of a normal episode, you will get a trailer for season four, mm-hmm. and you will get a bonus episode for free. It's going to be exciting. And how, Alex, would you get those bonus episodes uh, any time of year? Oh, well, you might join our Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. Only $5 a month gets you on board in the... Arboretum. Arboretum. The completely Arboretum. Exactly. And that is uh, a really fun thing. I think the last time, the last one we did, we talked all about my tattoos. Yeah. Aren't there even some uh, some cool pictures of those tattoos? <laughs> that's, that's right. If you join the Arboretum, you get uh, free photos of Casey's body. Yes, that's right. Which, come on, that's priceless. Yeah, seriously. Honestly, I should charge more for that. Yeah, what a steal. Well, you yeah. can on your OnlyFans. I was going to say, this is the OnlyFans. This is the section of OnlyFans where you click on, you pay $5 a month we'll give you access to our only fans yeah which is just one episode we did last <laughs> last week yeah <laughs> some images regardless it will be a whole lot of fun so if you like that episode uh that's going to come out along with um anything else we do a lot of different stuff on our extra episodes we're going to do a lot of different stuff this next season yeah. it'll probably find its way on there as well that's right so a lot of big things to look forward to. That's right. Our plates will be full, Casey. Yes, they quite will be. I hope that at the end of it, we'll all be sated with tree information. Mm. Thank you so much for listening to this season of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Mm, bye-bye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 